cliffcentral.com. So we're going to catch up with JJ in African Analysis, which is our bi-monthly feature, which is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School. It looks at the happenings on the African continent. And uh, let's go to JJ Cornish now. Good morning, JJ. How are you? I, I am exceedingly we well, thanks, Gareth. And good bonjour to you. Very good. I just have to send away. I've got a guy in a sombrero in a stretch limo <laughs> playing La Cucaracha outside. <laughs> yeah, it's not, that's not racist at all after what Sia said about his My abuela's <laughs> favorite song. Yeah, this is great. He's <laughs> holding an AK-47. I hope, uh, uh, I don't <laughs> imagine he's going to bother you. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, thank, Hi, papi. thank you, JJ, for, for making sure that Sia isn't the only one the show who's doing uh, racial stereotyping thank you for that that's very important and uh, just to make it even even more um, fair and free this morning we're going to uh, maybe play la cucaracha later on when you say goodbye so jj what's been happening um africa is never a boring place and this week like any other given week full of interesting news where do you want to start well uh, you know it's so interesting i i was looking last night and suddenly this story comes up with africa and South Africa is going to be the hub for this, to start making COVID-19 vaccines. Fantastic news. Uh, we have Emmanuel Macron saying he's delighted. Well, of course, he went to the launch of a facility when he visited here two weeks ago. The WTO head Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela is saying that, uh, yes, this will be South Africa. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a joint venture with the World Health Organization and the African Union. And Nkosi Okojoiwela is saying that we could have hubs in Senegal and Rwanda. But the question you always have to ask when you deal with an African, particularly an African big idea, is when, how long, Mm. when are we going to get these vaccines? Right. And, uh, you know, we have 40 million uh, uh, vaccines in Africa have been dispensed, but that's about 2%. Uh, the poorer countries are just not getting enough. Again, the World Health Organization saying this. How long? The answer to that question depends on the drug companies, doesn't it? When are they going to transfer the technology and the know-how? When are they going to waive the intellectual property rights? All of them are saying, yeah, well, okay, we're going to do it. The fact is nobody has come up with that yet. (laughs) Now, are we going to have Joe Biden saying, Forcing companies like, uh, well, he can do it, Moderna, force them to do it. Mm. Will he do that? These are the questions. So we have great hopes now that uh, the vaccine, which is not getting to Africa, the, this co- the, the COVAC thing is just not working. You know, <coughs> they said they would do 2 billion uh, doses by the end of 21. Uh, to the 80 countries, poorer countries that's supposed to get them. Well, that's not happening. So we have to make it ourselves. Cyril Ramaphosa, our president, is right in that regard. But uh, we just have to see when it's going to happen. And uh, we're waiting. The COVAC thing, at least several African countries, I can think of Uganda and Zimbabwe, saying they're running out of the vaccines in COVAC. Mm. Here in South Africa, well, we seem to be going uh, uh, along and and vaccinating, but, you know, still the wrinklies of getting vaccinated. And it's, in fact, uh, you know, whereas in other countries, Germany, Britain, uh, 12-year-olds are now getting the jab. So, you know, there is no equity. When they talk about vaccine apartheid, it's a a very well-chosen phrase. But uh, good news, I would have to say, for South Africa. 
and, and maybe it'll mean uh, that we can become a hub for other vaccines as they get developed. Of good course, news for us. Uh, of course, this is good news, but we've got to remember that it is due entirely to the hard work of these pharmaceutical companies that we even have these vaccines at the moment. And you don't just take someone's intellectual property away just because there's a need in the world. Um, otherwise, they're going to stop doing research and development, and we may not have vaccines in the future because we then uh, we, 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 we chop these, com- these companies off at the knee before they can actually spend the money that it takes to do the miraculous job that they've done. And no one deserves more credit than the pharmaceutical companies because it's thanks to them, not thanks to governments, that we have the incredible rollout of vaccines and the incredibly fast turnaround of vaccines that has happened in the last 12 months. And, and you know, it's all good and well for governments to say, well, we're just going to um, generically uh, develop your vaccine in our own territories and we're not going to pay any attention to your patents and your intellectual property. But that seems to me to cut off your nose to spite your face because the next time we need them, they might be more reluctant or take a longer time to do things because we don't give them the money that they need to do it. I don't, I don't have a, a, a swinger back for big pharma at all. I believe <laughs> that when they develop it, they are looking after themselves. I don't think that we are taking from them anything uh, that they're not going to make billions from anyway. So, uh, yes, indeed, uh, this, and, and I do think that governments got behind Big Pharma in this regard to get the vaccine made so quickly. I do believe that at a time of pandemic, it's not the time to think of profit. I think you have to do the job that you that you designed to do. And in the longer term, the pharmaceutical companies aren't going to come up short. You know, it's like, I suppose, like the Arab carpet salesman, for another racial stereotype, yeah. you know, when they sell you that carpet at half the price they told you initially, they're still going to make a profit. Uh, so, you know, even though they weep and say that, uh, you know, you're robbing me, that I don't believe that to be the case and certainly don't believe that a big farmer are going to cut themselves well, short or do well, themselves well, down. Well, then if I read you correctly, then all credit due to Donald Trump for Operation Warp Speed, because then that is what deserves the credit. No. Well, he and others, for that, in that regard, uh, Donald Trump uh, does re- uh, deserve regard for, for uh, Operation Warp Speed. I have no doubt about that. The fact is, though, that he screwed up the uh, uh, dealing with the pandemic and, and cost hundreds of millions of lives uh, is also to his eternal discredit. Well, I, I wouldn't say hundreds of millions of lives. We only had about three million deaths in the world. But, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, by her, by hyperbole, I hear you. So let's talk a little bit about the the other stuff going on. Are we still are we still worried about this uh, this dam and on the Nile? Is there any development there? Because I remember just two months ago that was the big story, and Egypt and Ethiopia and the United States and the African Union were all involved in that. We spent a bit of time in the last few weeks talking about some of the other countries in the Horn of Africa, and you've enlightened us. Uh, beautifully as to what those countries' roles are in that region and who their friends and who their enemies are. Um, is that still the focus of, of all the major African uh, internal politics at the moment, or is it is it shifting? It, it certainly is a significant focus. And uh, we have uh, Somalia, Ethiopia, vaguely different situations. Uh, 
the Egypt believes that its very lifeblood is being withheld or can be withheld if the dam fills and Ethiopia contains it. Mm-hmm. Sudan knows that it must play along to to some extent uh, because the dam will safeguard it from the floods, which are more damaging towards Sudan than they are for Egypt where they, they flood plains and, and leave alluvial deposits that, that become uh, um, growth fields. Mm. But the, the thing in Ethiopia right now is, of course, the election. They voted uh, on Sunday and uh, it went peacefully. But uh, And it's Abi Ahmed's, the prime minister's greatest test since becoming prime minister 2018, winning the Nobel Peace Prize and not since then behaving like a Nobel Peace Prize winner for his uh, very, very tough crackdown on opposition in Tigray. Uh, it was armed opposition, so you can understand that a certain toughness, but he now is denying that there's hunger, some are saying famine in Tigray, hmm. um, and the electoral board, the which is the electoral commission in Ethiopia, actually warns his uh, prosperity party against undue and unnecessary involvement in the elections. The UNHCR chief, High Commission for Refugee, uh, uh, Human Rights Chief, Michel Bachelet, when uh, that session opened in Geneva, uh, spoke about the ethnic tensions in Ethiopia, and they were considerable. And there's deadly violence, she was saying. You know, of the 547 constituencies in Ethiopia, uh, more than 100 of them ha- were, did not vote uh, uh, two days ago hmm. uh, because of the te- te- uh, security situation, Tigray being one of those. Uh, Oromia, the most populous of them, uh, they uh, people, they called for a boycott. And, and many of the opposition groups are maintaining that they were prevented from campaigning. But the, the election did pass clear, clearly, and we have an African Union observer team uh, headed by Olusegunoba Sanyo, the former Nigerian president. So, uh, you know, we wait to see. There's, it'll be a, a couple of weeks, I think, before we get a final result there. But it is the absolute or the final, the, the most important uh, test of uh, Abiy Ahmed's leadership. Now, one of the things that we love about having you on, JJ, is that people get to hear about all these these far-flung countries and places like Djibouti and Eritrea. But I wonder if it wouldn't be worth looking at some of our more um, proximal neighbors, uh, perhaps, you know, places like uh, Botswana, which I, I think is a fascinating country to look at. They've got a small population. Um, they seem to have dealt with coronavirus quite well by comparison with other countries. They've got a currency which outperforms ours. They've got enormous uh, alluvial diamond deposits, and they've got great mining operations in, in Botswana. It's also a largely unspoilt natural wilderness, and their government is quite interesting too. Do you think that Botswana is interesting, or is it just me? Because perhaps we should cover that. Usually so. Next week I will do Botswana for you. Mm. I I uh, I know Botswana well because I I did some business there. In fact, when I left newspapers, I thought I might become a newspaper magnet, and I and I yeah. brokered the sale of a newspaper in Botswana. Uh, so I made a bit of tom that way. But I did learn that uh, for all uh, the democracy, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the Botswana government is quite a spiteful bunch. Oh. Uh, I don't actually know many governments that are not spiteful. <laughs> but uh, but I, I'll be very happy to talk at some length about Botswana yeah. uh, tomorrow. You know, Botswana, of course, very bravely took in a lot of South African uh, uh, refugees during the uh, 
uh, apartheid uh, era yes. and and paid the price for that. You know, they were attacked physically, literally uh, bombed from the mm. air by, by the apartheid uh, forces. And of course, that Sunday being World Refugee Day, uh, uh, the, the, we, we have disturbing news that there are record levels of displacement of, of uh, Africans. 32 million Africans are displaced, either as refugees or, or, or living as internally displaced people. That, that number is up from 29 million two years ago. But it's very big. Ten countries have 88% of these refugees, and uh, all of them come from conflict areas. We think of Nigeria, we think of Central African Republic, we think of South Sudan, and and many seven of them have sort of countries that lean towards autocracy. Right. Sub-Sahara Africa has 26% of uh, the refugees. Uh, the High Commissioner for Refugees is saying 18 million people in this area of or quotes of concern. So it's disturbing news in that regard. And uh, I wish that we in South Africa were just a little bit kinder to refugees. We oh have a, God, yeah. a, a less than less than glorious record of, of treating refugees in our country. Absolutely. And we know about the, the xenophobic violence that happens uh, in, in certain parts of this country, which is a deep embarrassment to to us jj it's always good to see you and well to hear you this morning and to get an update from you on what's going on in africa we will no doubt check in with you very shortly and we'll cover among other things botswana which i think will interest many people but thanks again for your time and for your insights always a pleasure thank you very much jj cornish in our african updates african analysis today and uh, jj is brought to you by the johannesburg business school Every single week we get to focus on, or every second week, we get to focus on Africa and on stories that are going on on this continent, the things that affect Africans most.